You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. Good morning, everyone. I was thinking about Matt Midtune this morning, and um, here's what I felt like the Lord said for him. And it applies for everyone. The Lord loves him more this morning than ever before because he had another whole day to love him. Extra. That's a great word. Who wants that word this morning? Anybody else want that? I don't know if you can have it or not. God's tight, man. He's not liberal. He. No, God's God's really good. Who loves the Lord today? Anybody? You get Pentecostal here in a minute if you're not careful. I have um, I have two items here before us. Uh oh, I'm trying to resurrect this pickle. Come on. Out of there. Yeah, did you see that? Okay, here's the deal. Man, I I just can't take that cucumber. However, man, that's good. Can you hear it crunch over the... It's so good. Excuse me a second. Now, what is the difference in that cucumber and that pickle? Baptism. Baptism. Now, 200 years, 200 BC, 200 years before Jesus was born, uh, people have located a pickle recipe um, recorded by the Greek poet and physician Nicander of Colophon, that's an area in present day Turkey. And he confirmed biblical language. He described a recipe for making pickles by using two different words, the word bapto and baptizo. In order to make a pickle, Nicander says the vegetable should first be dipped, that's bapto, into boiling water, and then the same should be baptized, Baptizo in a vinegar solution. Um, both of these Greek words involving immersing vegetables in, uh, involve immersing vegetables in liquid solutions. In the case of the pickle, the dipping was temporary 
But when you merged it in the vinegar solution, when it was complete, it produced a permanent change. It would never taste like a cucumber again. Now, I believe in, um, when, I, when we talk about baptism, I believe in immersion, and, I, and I'll, I'll explain that why. And that's not to um, denigrate people from other um, denominations and groups who have been sprinkled or had a different different form because the proof is the changed life, not necessarily the method. You with me? But I do believe um, me and that pickle are one. We believe um, your life changes. You can have a brand new start. And that's such a wonderful... uh, Somebody said God's not the God of the second chance. He's the God of the third chance and the fourth. takes a lot of us more chances than one or two to get this thing right. That's just life. Now, John 3.23, when John the Baptist was baptizing, it said... Uh, in John two, John three, John also was baptizing in Enon near Salem because there was much water there. And I think the point was, you need um, much water to baptize the way I believe you were called to from from the New Testament. But here again, I'm a dunker. But if you've been sprinkled and your life's changed, you you actually have um, experienced. In time, something that really has occurred mystically in eternity. And see, that that's an interesting thing about baptisms. If you study baptism, you can study the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which Jesus personally does, and you uh, evidence in the Bible is you receive power, you speak in tongues, you prophesy, but something literally happens. Um, the Bible talks about being baptized into Moses. Um, Noah's Ark was a picture of baptism where eight souls were saved, a brand new beginning, which is what baptism speaks of. Um, and then of course there's water baptisms so or a number, number of different baptisms mentioned, but then the Bible comes back and says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, here's the thing we need to recognize. Something timeless, something eternal had to happen in actual time to be effective. Truth had to put on flesh and blood and demonstrate himself. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, the shedding of Jesus' blood, and the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. His burial, his death, his burial, and his bodily resurrection all had to happen in real time. A theory, an idea, a doctrine, a consideration was not sufficient. He had to come and do all of these things in actual, real time to demonstrate things that had been predetermined perhaps before time. Now, water baptism is the same way. This mystical, mysterious baptism into Christ can be demonstrated and participated in through water baptism because it happens in a real place 
in real time today, September 9th, 2018. It's where theoretical Christianity becomes practical Christianity. It's where the things you say you believe, you have to actually do something about by faith as a statement to heaven, earth, and anyone else interested that you're a believer in Jesus in the biblical New Testament sense. It needs to happen in time and space. Is that good? Now, I believe in believer's baptism. I personally think, and here again I'm not not set to argue or even criticize, but the Bible talks about believer's baptism. I was baptized in a Presbyterian church as an infant. I was confirmed at 12 or 14. I met Jesus when I was 18. And those other things didn't work. I'm not saying they're bad things. I think they were representations of what my parents wanted for my life. They really were. They were good things. I learned. I watched. But I didn't have a life-changing encounter with Jesus, which is the only thing that actually makes you a Christian, not your culture, not your family, not your background, not even your philosophy, not even your concepts, but a real encounter with Jesus Christ where he, you know your sins are forgiven, you know you're going to follow him, and you have devotedly committed your life to doing whatever it is he wants you to do. I'm going to tell you, many of us in this room have a very serious issue. There, There is a river we have yet to cross, and it's the river of surrender. You will never be completely satisfied as a Christian until you surrender. Did you hear the round of applause? I've been saved close to 50 years, and this week the Lord's talking to me about surrender. Me, I'm telling you, so to get off of me and get on you. (laughs) Not really. But water baptism is an outward expression of an inner faith conviction. It's a practical, experiential way to express your faith in Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection by participating in the act of being baptized, lowered into the waters of death, raised out of those waters in the power of resurrection life. It literally symbolizes you participate in. You make a point to do this which symbolizes the death, the burial, the resurrection, not only of the Lord Jesus, but of you. See, the mystery is you were in Christ on the cross before you were ever born. The mystery is when Jesus rose from the dead, well, the mystery is when Jesus died, you died. The mystery is when Jesus rose from the dead, you rose from the dead as far as God was concerned. But none of that actually helps you at all if you don't, by faith, participate. It's like having an unlimited bank account and being considered by the person 
who put that money in that bank. He considers you a wealthy person, but you never cash any checks because you don't exercise faith to do it, say to so to speak. Yeah, God has made provision for the salvation of the whole world, but the whole world is not necessarily going to be saved. It takes an act of faith. You have to access what is freely available, or that's ultimate reconciliation. Everybody's saved. Everybody's saved. That's crazy. Why would the Bible say God wills that all be saved and all come to the knowledge of the truth in the context that that is not what actually goes on? But you're saved not just by grace. You're saved by grace through faith. Romans 5.2. We have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, what that says is every single person in the world has a place to stand in the grace of God. But if they don't access it by faith, it's as though it never existed or is available for them. That's really good, Robin. Well, thank you. My, my boat, I'm speaking to my bipolar partner here, but no, come on. How many of you speak to yourself? I just do it out loud. No, that's good. Thank you, Jesus. Donna says I should quit congratulating myself when I'm preaching. So, <laughs> And she knows what she's talking about. All right, let's look at Colossians 2.12. This is from the Passion Translation. My goodness, if you haven't been reading the Passion Translation, it's a great, a great translation. You want to do this together? Four. We've been buried with him into his death. Our baptism into death also means we were raised with him when we believed in God's resurrection power, the power that raised him from death's realm. This realm of death describes our former state, for we were held in sin's grasp, but now we've been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return For we are forever alive and forgiven of all our sins. That's powerful. Thank you, Jesus. Colossians also, I have to read this. The Passion Translation also says, He canceled out every, someone say every, every legal violation we had on our record. And the old... Come on. And the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. You know, think about Jesus in the garden and Peter takes out his sword and attempts to murder. He attempts to murder um, the servant of the high priest. That was crucifixion worthy. What did he do? Well, he swung and he missed, but he knocked his ear off. What did Jesus do? I'm not sure what he did, but he healed him. He either um, touched his ear and healed it, or he picked his ear up and put it back on his head. I don't know what he did, but then he'd had three ears. But I think he picked his ear up and put it back on his head to erase the evidence. <laughs> 
that would convict Peter because Peter had a destiny. God, if you have a destiny and you're willing to connect with it, you'd be surprised at what God will do. Well, that's not fair. I don't care what fair is. I'll tell you what's not fair is to miss the purpose of God for your life and go off and do something stupid you wish you'd never done. Now's the time to make that decision. That's really, come on. I'm sorry, Don, I said don't do that. But I can't help it if I'm getting encouraged. I I just, I can't help it. He erased it all. Our sins, our stained soul, he deleted it all. And they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. See, all that is true, but if you don't repent and believe in your heart and make a public confession, I don't know if you're saved or not. I I don't know anyway. That's not my job. I'm not judging all that. God knows. But what I'm saying is um, a salvation experience needs to be a part of your history, part of your background. You can't sort of slip into church and join the club. You need to humble yourself. You need to let God touch your life. Um, One reason people labor so much with their past is you can't disown something you've yet owned. You don't get forgiven for mistakes. You get forgiven for sin. You have to call it what it is. May I be so bold. This generation doesn't seem to think there's such a thing as unrighteousness. That's ridiculous. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then it says, being justified freely by the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. So powerful. No one should ever perish. But you have to come to the knowledge of the truth and lay hold of it in real space real time, by faith, in a way that your life changes. Something happens. If it hasn't happened, do it again. It's really, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Finally, I squeezed one little pitiful yahoo from the third row over there, but I'm forever grateful. I feel like I'm about to explode, though. I believe God wants to do something today so remarkable. Not just some stupid dip in a pool somewhere. But life-changing, radical, salvation, on fire for Jesus. Not backing up. Not making excuses. Not being ashamed. I don't want them to know. Something's wrong with you if you don't want them to know. You haven't gone the distance yet. You haven't seen what he did for you. You're, you have a lack of true appreciation for the reality of the death and the suffering and the burial and the resurrection and the devotion of the Son of God. It needs to mean more than it's meant to so many of us. Oh, man. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness. 
stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and a power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They're his. Glory! Oh. I've got more than that in the tank. Okay. Now, why is baptism important? I've covered some of this. Well, Jesus himself got baptized. The one who never committed a sin did it. Why? Matthew three thirteen through 15. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John the Baptist baptized Jesus. A lot of us want to do the minimum when it comes to righteousness. Jesus wanted to do the maximum. He wanted to fulfill every requirement. If he hadn't fulfilled every requirement, there'd be no salvation. We couldn't fulfill every requirement. He fulfilled every requirement. It's wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus considered being baptized as being essential to fulfilling all righteousness. If Jesus, the one who never sinned, did it and said we should do it, why wouldn't we do it? Part two, Jesus commanded it. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Actually, I I felt like the Lord showed me I'd been disobedient by not having more baptism. Actually, the last person I baptized, I baptized in in my swimming pool, in my bathtub. God wanted to be baptized so bad, it was winter. I took him home. I filled up our, ta- uh, our bathtub and, and baptized him. But baptism is a significant aspect of the Christian life. It's not an add-on. It's not really, I don't think in some ways, um, I forgot the word. It's an option. I think it's been commanded. Now, One of the practical benefits is baptism gives us a historic reference point for warfare when we're faced with nagging aspects of our old nature that try to encroach their offsides. They need to be penalized, encroachment, football, Panthers, today, beat the Cowboys. But it gives us a historic reference point for warfare when we're faced with nagging aspects of our old nature. You can say, That old man died in the waters of my baptism on September 9th, 2018. Who should be baptized? Well, people who want to be washed from their sins. John came, Mark 1, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a repentance, a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. I know people who've actually been rebaptized as an act of faith, as another act of repentance, as a cleansing from sins they've committed since they first got saved. It gave them a sense of having a fresh start. 
I don't know if that's biblical or not, but I do know this. At the end of the day, it's all about a new life. It's not about doing it right. It's not about what happens in the water. It's not about who does it. It's not even about when it happens. But it's about having such an encounter with Jesus, such an identification with who he is and what he did, that our life changes. We are what the Bible calls not a new kind of person, but in a completely new creation, never before seen until uh, the the born-again experience was available. Who should be baptized? Believers in Jesus. Acts 2.41. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. That's after Pentecost. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Acts 8.12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. When should you be baptized? Acts 16, 31 through 33. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Say that with me. You will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to the jailer. This happened uh, when these guys were freed from the jail. And to all were in the jailer's house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed Paul's stripes, and immediately he and his family were baptized. Immediately. That's pretty soon. Acts 18.8 in Paul's ministry. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Interesting. Other examples, Saul of Tarsus. Saul was an enemy of the gospel. He persecuted the church. Jesus appeared to him. The marvel of Jesus, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but Jesus knocks Saul of Tarsus off his horse. Now, who, what did Saul do? Saul put people to death who were Christians because they were Christians. He had parents imprisoned. He was an enemy of the gospel. And when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, here's what Jesus said. Isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? Now, what he was talking about, the goads, um, if you were uh, farming or plowing with oxen, behind the oxen there would be a, a rod with sharp stakes. Those were goads so that the oxen wouldn't back up. He would hit his feet on those goads or his legs. So, so he wouldn't do that. So Jesus says to Paul, um, is, isn't your lifestyle difficult for you? He's a serial killer. And what does Jesus say? Isn't this a hard way to live? Can you hear the heart of Jesus he had for that guy? Not listen, you reprobate. You're going to hell for that. No, Jesus said, isn't this hard for you? Aren't, aren't you tired of kicking against the goads? What he was saying is, aren't you tired of going in the wrong direction, Paul? Don't you get it? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you've been persecuting. Jesus takes it personally. What happens to his people happens to him. And so here's what happened. Paul's blinded. God calls a man named Ananias to go and lay his hands on him. So he does. And Ananias, his brother Saul, 
the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. Then you see Cornelius' household. I, I think this is important to, to acknowledge Cornelius was not Jewish, he was Roman, he was a Gentile, he was from the nations. And Jews at that point really didn't believe, uh, they basically believed you had to become a non-Jew to know God, and then the Christians sort of adopted the posture, you had to be a Jew to become a Christian. And so, and Peter believed that. Peter basically believed that. If, if Anyway, he, he basically believed that, and so... He's at Simon the Tanner's house, and apparently he'd been fasting and he was hungry. And so Jesus lowers a sheet down with all these unclean animals that Jews weren't permitted to eat. I felt like it was like a menu because Jesus said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Pick one of these out and have this for lunch, Peter. And Peter says, oh, no, no, um, it's not lawful for me to eat those things. And so Jesus did it again. He did it three times, and Peter was puzzled, and then... Three people show up from Cornelius' house. That's the Roman centurion. And an angel had three days prior appeared to Cornelius and said, you need to go find this man named Simon Peter. He's at the Tanner's house down by the ocean. He's got something important to tell you. So these three guys show up right about the time the menus come down. And Peter says, I'm not going to eat that. And Jesus says, don't call unclean what I've cleansed. Then Jesus says, by the way, there are three men downstairs that have come to talk to you. Go with them and don't doubt anything. Give them the gospel. So he goes into a Gentile's house and he begins to preach the gospel. And they interrupted him by speaking in tongues. Now, I know a lot of people don't like that. I just don't happen to be one of them. And here's a point that needs to be made. Speaking in tongues was the single evidence that caused Peter to believe Gentiles could be saved because they had the same experience he himself had with the Holy Ghost in the upper room in Acts 2 where it's recorded. And here was the terrible thing. They interrupted his message to be filled with the Spirit. I wouldn't mind that. While Peter was still speaking this, these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, the Jews who were there, the believing Jews who were there were astonished. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. It's a game changer. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter responded, can anyone forbid water? that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And there you have it. Then there's the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts chapter 8, verse 35. Philip, wasn't he supernaturally transported to that place? Is that what happened? Philip's transported to the carriage occupied by an officer in the Ethiopian government who was a eunuch. And the officer was reading 
The Ethiopian eunuch was reading Isaiah 53 and did not understand what it was about. And so Philip asked him, do you want me to tell you? And the man said, yes. And Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. The eunuch said this, what hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Isn't that great? It's awesome. What can happen by being baptized in water? Number one, you can get wet and nothing. What do you mean? Well, it's it's by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You do it in faith. That doesn't mean you don't have any doubts. It just means you got more faith than the doubt keeping you out. That's enough. What can happen by being baptized in water? You can experience a brand new start. Where is Don Hardister still in here? How many of you were at the Cornerstone when we had that baptism years and years ago? Anybody? I guess, yeah, Christopher was. We had a baptism. At, we were watching these bap- baptisms from um, the Brownsville Revival, and it was, it was so cool. The power of God was saving all these people, and they were getting baptized. And in, in that case, God would touch these people in the pool, and they'd have trouble getting them out, and they'd be thrashing all around in there. It's great. <laughs> sort of like that. Uh, you don't have to do that, and it won't necessarily happen. But um, So I was going to have a baptism in my church in Pineville, but it was in an office park, and we didn't have a baptismal pool. So one Sunday I said, hey, we're going to baptize next Sunday. And then I thought, how are we going to do that? So I went and bought a sample swimming pool that was eight feet across and four feet deep and had a pump and somebody built steps and we just put it right there in the sanctuary. It's really just a room in the office park, you know, called sanctuary. God made it a sanctuary though, for real. And I think five people signed up and only four people showed up that night. Seventy people got baptized. And the power of God changed lives that night that are still changed to this day. How? I don't know. I don't get it. Did those people never sin again? They may have, but it wasn't as much fun. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm just... What can happen by being baptized in water? You can establish a set time you made a conscious decision and a public statement that you're a believer in Jesus. What can happen when you're baptized in water? You can be filled with the Holy Spirit in a tangible, experiential way. You can speak in tongues. You can prophesy. You can feel the presence of God. Jesus chooses what to do. So, what was the difference in the cucumber and the pickle? Baptism. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.